Well, church, it is time for a word from God. I am excited. Couldn't be more excited to preach this word from John chapter six. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter six. We're going to start in verse 65, John 6, 65. Listen, if you're ready for a word, I want you to type in the comments, Lord, speak. Type that in the comments. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. We are excited and ready for you to communicate your truth to us. Of course, you know, we've been going through a series entitled, Now What? We have been asking the questions that Jesus has asked of people, his followers, in his earthly life and ministry. We dealt with the first week, the question, do you believe? The second week, we asked the question, why are you so afraid? The third week, we asked the question, do you want to be healed? And last week, we dealt with this all-important question, who touched me? And today, we are going to deal with the final question in our series as we transition to a whole new thought, whole new uh, topic uh, that the Lord has led me into and I'm excited for it. And I hope that these questions have built in you an idea, the foundation that our relationship with God is not a monologue. It is supposed to be a dialogue. So it is supposed to go back and forth, a true relationship and a rhythm. And so in our text today, John chapter six, verse 65, the word of God says, and he, Jesus said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, his disciples, his core, Do you also want to go away? Do you also want to leave? Using Eugene Peterson's message Bible translation. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The question that Jesus asked his disciples is the question that he asked of us today. Do you also want to leave? Do you also want to leave? Are you going to abandon me when things get difficult? Well, before we open up in the sermon, let's go before this Lord in prayer and let us lift up our cares and our concerns to him. Great Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that your presence is in this place, wherever we're watching, whatever we're doing, whatever we bring into this moment, it matters to you. And so now, God, we ask that you would fill us with your truth, that you would open up this word in our hearts, that it would burn like fire on the insides of us. God, that we ourselves would be devoted to you. God, that you would challenge our devotion today. God, we know that there can be a fire in anyone's place if there's an iceberg behind this metaphorical pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your love, burn for your justice. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, it was January 1, 1818. There was an anonymous novel that was published in the UK that transformed literature forever. In this novel, the anonymous novelist had written about a certain man, a man named Victor, who was born to a wealthy family. Victor was born to a wealthy family, but he was visited by tragedy early in his life. And in response to that tragic event, the loss of his mother, 
he decides to pour himself into his pursuits. He becomes obsessed with science, obsessed with creating, obsessed with preserving life. And instead of dealing with his grief, Victor is fully immersed in this idea of his scientific creations. Well, some of you already know the story. Victor ends up creating something that he's ashamed of. Victor ends up creating an eight foot monster. And this monster is alive and intelligent and comes to life based upon Victor's obsessive efforts. And rather than dealing with the pain and the grief and the sorrow, not just of his mother's death, but also of what he had created, Victor decides to abandon not just his family, but abandon his creation. Victor pushes away from his creation, runs out of the room, and is delirious as he walks through the streets. When he comes back around to his laboratory, he finds the fact that this monster has left, and what follows is a trail of consequence, tragedy, and violence. It is all because Victor abandoned his creation. Of course, some of you know that the author of this book is Mary Shelley, and the title of this book is Victor's Last Name in this fictional tale. Frankenstein. Frankenstein is not just a tale of obsession and a tale of mismanagement, but it's also a tale of abandonment. Abandonment, abandonment brings out the worst in us. It was later on that the Austrian psychologist and psychiatrist by the name of Sigmund Freud, he's regarded as the the father of modern psychological thought. Sigmund Freud said he believed that when we're born, and separated from our mothers, that this trauma becomes a central force in our lives. The second we're separated from our parents, that that trauma, it plays heavily in our hearts and in our minds. And we must, according to Freud, spend a great deal of our lives, a great deal of time coming to terms with this separation, internalizing this abandonment. Sigmund Freud says that the central trauma of our lives is that we as people, we as children are abandoned. We feel abandoned by our parents. Whether it's Frankenstein, a fictional tale, Freud, a psychological thought, we can all agree with this one reality that abandonment, once again, brings out the worst in us. Have you ever been abandoned, church? Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been left by yourself? Have you ever been abandoned and deserted by the people that you trusted in? I know it can be a devastating experience. It can be something that ruins your ability to trust and hope. It can be something that compromises your ability to love people. There's something about abandonment. Have you ever felt abandoned by someone? Let me ask a follow-up question to that. Have you ever felt abandoned by Almighty God? I know this is sacrilegious to ask, but have you ever looked around and asked the question, God, where are you? You should be here right about now. I put out the SOS. I waved a red flag. I said, help. I need you. I need you to be present. But it seems as though, God, you have abandoned me. Anybody in here ever felt abandoned? Abandonment, it brings the worst out of us. But here's the reality. I'm not just simply talking about abandonment when it comes to us being abandoned. On the contrary, you know, I always like to flip something. I want to flip this concept upside down. I'm not talking about others who have abandoned us. I'm talking about the times when we have abandoned others. Have you ever abandoned someone, church? 
Have you ever deserted someone? Have you ever betrayed someone? No shade, no condemnation, no judgment. Have you ever been in that moment where someone needed you and you didn't show up and it left a trail of tragedy and consequence and, and hurt feelings and harm? Have you ever abandoned someone? Can I ask a follow-up question? Have you ever abandoned God? Have you ever gotten to a place where you were ashamed to claim the name of Jesus? Have you ever gotten to a place where you've been walking with God for so long and it seems as though this marks the centrality of your life, but then you step away and you go and you want to participate and pursue other things. You, you hear clearly that God told you to do and say something, but you said, God, that's a little bit too hard for me to hear. That's a little bit too hard for me to do. So I'll abandon you for now. I'll come back around when I really need you. Have you ever abandoned God? If we're honest with ourselves, 99.999% of us can answer honestly that we, yes, have abandoned others. And yes, we have abandoned God. And we tend to abandon Jesus after we hear the hard things. Have you ever abandoned God after you heard a word or got instruction that you didn't want to follow? Maybe the hard thing that Jesus will say to us this year is not yet. I know you really want this thing. I know it seems like now is the perfect timing, but my, my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways, even as high as the heavens are from the earth. I can see things that you cannot see. And I'm here to tell you, my brother, my sister, I'm here to tell you, my son, my daughter, now is not the time. Now is not the time, not yet. Maybe the hard thing that Jesus will say to you this year is no, no. I'm not going to give you what you want. I know it's what you think you want, but, but trust me when I tell you it's not what's best for you. It's not what's best for your family. It's not what's best for your situation and your calling and your mission. The answer to your question is no. Maybe the hard thing that Jesus is going to say in 2021 is endure. Stay rooted and planted in the place where I have called you. And it may seem as though this is a futile pursuit. It may seem as though nothing is changing, but here's the reality. I need you to stay faithful. I need you to endure. I'll worry about the results. I'll worry about what happens in the end, but I need you to endure. Maybe the hard thing that Jesus will say to you this year is don't go back to that relationship. Maybe the hard thing Jesus will say in 2021 is go into this friendship that's going to challenge you. Maybe Jesus is saying, quit your job. Maybe he's saying, get another job, whatever it may be. Jesus is always going to tell us hard things. And the crux of this question that we're talking about today is this. Can you hear a hard word from God and not quit? Can you hear a hard instruction from God and not give up? Can you hear a hard thing from God? and not abandon God after you've heard it? That's the question that you have to ask yourselves. Are you really 10 toes down? Are you really committed to this Jesus thing? No turning back, no turning back. Are you really committed? Or are you going to abandon him just like many of these disciples did? You see, John chapter six is very interesting because Jesus is in the thick of his earthly life and ministry, and he does a number of fantastic things. But the first thing that he does in this chapter and in this moment is he feeds 5,000 people. Picture this. He references their hunger. He sees that they're in pain and he takes bread and, and, and fish and he blesses them and multiplies them and hands them out. But yet a couple of verses later, about 50 verses later, what happens? Many of the disciples who saw this abandoned Jesus. It's interesting because there was a betrayal after 
a blessing. And the truth of the matter, church, is the, the time when we are susceptible to betraying our relationship with God is right after we, we receive a blessing from God. <laughs> Let me say it again. The time when we are susceptible to betraying our relationship with God, it tends to be right after we receive a blessing from God. And some of you are asking the question, preacher, how do you know this is true? It's because sometimes we receive a blessing from God and realize all we wanted was the benefit of following Jesus, but not Jesus himself. <laughs> Some of us have to be honest about the fact that all we wanted was the blessing, but not the burden. We wanted the deliverance, but not the discipline. We wanted the stage, but not the sacrifice. We wanted the connections, but not the commission. We wanted the relationships, but not the repentance. We wanted the money and not the stewardship. Some of us have to be honest about the fact that we wanted what Jesus could offer, not Jesus himself. And here's what I'm just going to tell you. This is free advice. It's not even in my notes. But the best time for you to re-up your commitment with Jesus is right after Jesus blesses you, right after Jesus makes a way, right after Jesus does the thing that you think is not possible because it reminds you that the chief good is not what Jesus could provide. The chief good is Jesus himself. The chief good is Jesus and his presence. And this is what happens. People are blessed and yet they still betray Jesus. So how do we keep ourselves from being abandoned? How do we keep ourselves from abandoning the call? Let me give you three things that I think are so important. The first is found in John chapter six, verse 66. Take a look at it. It says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. First thing you have to do if you want to avoid this trap of abandonment. Are you ready? Write this down. We must look up, not out. We must look up, not out. Here's the interesting thing. It seems as though there was a mass exodus from following the teachings and the example and the tutelage of Jesus. It seems as though a whole bunch of disciples got together and said, hey, listen, this thing that Jesus is talking about, we can't abide by this anymore. There's no way that we can keep on doing this. So let's step away from this. And they go together in a large group. They go together and, and and I don't know about you, but I want to use my holy imagination. You see, I, I think there are a couple of people who probably looked around before they made the decision to leave. They looked around and they saw their friend. They looked around and they saw the person that they looked up to in this particular company of people. They looked around and they saw the person who they thought was solid fall off. And because they saw the person who they thought was solid fall off, what, what did they do? They ended up stepping away and they followed after that person, not after the example of Jesus. And it's interesting to me because I can just imagine that there were some people who were looking around seeing what is my neighbor going to do? What is this person going to do? What is this elder going to do? What is this deacon going to do? What is this person going to do in a time when you hear a hard thing, when you see a hard thing, when God communicates something that you don't really like, when someone gets on your last nerve, when someone acts as though that they no longer have to follow the things that you thought they were supposed to follow. And I, I just imagine there were some people watchers in the crowd. You know, one of the things that I miss about being in a large group is I miss people watching. <laughs> I'm, I'm unashamed to say it. I may have a problem. You might be able to say, Pastor, we're going to pray for you. It's OK. I will receive those prayers. I like watching people's body language and mannerisms. I like to be alert in my surroundings and I like to see what people are doing. And there's something about people watching because when you see the mannerisms of people, you can start to predict behavior. 
When you see how a person walks up to the counter, you can start to predict whether or not they're going to order something from the bakery at the coffee shop or just get a cup of coffee. You can see how they act. You can see what they do. You can also see what people are susceptible for an upsell or susceptible for a special promotion that's happening at that particular store. And it's interesting. People watching will teach you a lot. But here's the problem. If we are people watching in our spiritual life, we can't stay devoted to Christ if we're stuck watching the movements of other people. People watching is fun in the natural, but it's costly in the spiritual. See, some of us have been watching the vision and the mission and the ideas of other people for so long that we don't know Jesus for ourselves. <laughs> we don't know Jesus for ourselves. We don't have a relationship with Jesus for ourselves. We live vicariously through someone else's Facebook posts, Twitter posts, IG stories. We live vicariously through their devotion and Christian leaders. And we don't want to do the work ourselves. We just say, hey, can you prepare a meal for me? I'm not going to get in my private closet with God and pray and work it out. I'm just going to trust that you got a word for me. And then that's going to suffice for my relationship with God, because I think, you know, Jesus better than I know Jesus myself. And so, you know what? I'm going to piggyback off of your relationship with God and I'm going to look out, but not up. I'm going to look up at the stage, but not up to the heavens and say, God, what would you say to me for my situation? There's a problem when we start people watching church. You might be a people watcher if you believe that more people equal success. <laughs> you might be a people watcher if you think that just because there's a crowd around, that means that God has stamped his divine approval on something. You might be a people watcher if you're easily swayed away from what God told you to do. You might be a people watcher if you call your neighbor to ask them for advice before you get on your knees to ask God for advice. You might be a people watcher if you do these things. And I just want to remind you, you won't stay devoted to Christ. If you're stuck watching the movements of other people, what are they doing? How are they perceiving it? What's going to happen? What are they going to say? If I do what God called me to do, I'll be left out in the cold. You better be willing to be left alone rather than being in a crowd of people going the wrong way. You know, it's interesting. The crowds can get us into trouble. Groupthink, it can kill our devotion to God. And on Wednesday night, we talked about this core principle, this simple yet important principle of what it means to truly be with Jesus, be in the presence of God. And, and when I was thinking about it, and it was such a rich time, I enjoyed it so much hearing the different perspectives and listening to people on Facebook Live talk about their, their honesty and their difficulties with things like silence and solitude. I sat back and afterwards I sat in the presence of Jesus a little bit longer and I said, there's just something about knowing Jesus for myself. <laughs> there's just something about knowing Jesus for myself, knowing Jesus in the quietness of my own room, knowing Jesus in my prayer closet, knowing Jesus in the late midnight hour, knowing Jesus when no one else is around, knowing Jesus even when I'm in pain, knowing Jesus even when there's plenty and prosperity, knowing Jesus for myself. And I think there's at least five people who can wave at me and say, I know Jesus for myself. I know Jesus. I've tried Jesus and I know that Jesus is the real deal. I know Jesus for myself. So that's the first thing we have to do, church. We have to look up not out. That's why the psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes 
from the Lord, not my neighbor, not the group, not the crowd. My help comes from him. Number two is found in Luke chapter six, verse 67. It's not over. Jesus turns to them after all these disciples walk away, presumably hundreds or even possibly thousands. Jesus then says to the twelve, do you also want to go away? It's a perceptive question, right? It's the question that's the crux of this sermon. But Jesus asked this question in a way that I find interesting. Jesus asked this question, what are your desires? See, the first thing you have to do is you have to look up, not out. But the second thing we have to do is we have to discern our desires. We have to discern our desires. What do you really want, church? I, I want to ask you that question in the quietness of this moment. What do you actually want from God? What are the things that you've really wanted on the inside, but you've been too afraid to say them because you felt as though there was not any allowance or any room for you to be honest about those desires? What are the things you really want? Jesus asked the disciples an interesting question. He says, what do you want to do now? Now that you've seen all these things, will you also abandon me? What do you want to do? Some of us have been begrudgingly serving God, begrudgingly walking in the things God has called us to do simply because we are not honest about our desires. We are not honest about what God has called for us to do. And, and, and let me let me tell you this. This is important. Dishonesty is not a spiritual discipline. <laughs> Dishonesty is not a spiritual discipline. I don't know when it became in vogue for us to lie about what we really want. I don't know when it became popular for us to act as though we didn't have desires, but some of us have suppressed those things for so long that we now are operating in a false self, in a false ministry, in a false relationship with God. And all of our desires are not good desires, but we must be able to identify each one of them so that we can take them to the person who can correct our desires. Don't be dishonest and miss an opportunity for growth. Don't be dishonest and miss an opportunity for discernment. That's why the literal word that Jesus asked when he says, do you want to go to? It literally means, what do you wish? What do you desire? What do you intend to do? And some of us have been denying ourselves growth because we have simply been failing to discern our own desires, failing to be honest about where God has us, failing to be honest about the fact that we don't like it very much. And it leads us into a space of abandonment. Are you willing to be honest, church? Are you willing to be honest about what God has called you to do or what God hasn't called you to do and why you're frustrated about it? I want some honest Christians some people who can come into the assembly, come into small groups, come into friendships and relationships and say, I'm struggling. I don't have it today. The things that God has asked me to do are hard. The relationships God has put me in are too difficult for me. The things that I've been forced to see and endure, it's becoming too much of a weight. I need to be honest and discern the fact that I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up. I feel like stepping in, stepping out. I feel like throwing in the towel. I feel like something is wrong. And some of you know that at those times we must have an outlet to be honest so that we ourselves don't fall into the abandonment that many of these disciples did. Are you willing to be honest, church? Are you willing to be real? 
Are you willing to come to God as you truly are, not as you think he would want you to be? Are you willing to discern those desires? I challenge you to write some of them down. I challenge you to carve out some time in the quietness of the moment and be honest about your your journaling. Be honest about the fact that you yourself have some things that you haven't written down. You haven't brought to God. Discern those desires. But he goes on after he asks this question to hear a response from Simon Peter. And Simon Peter sets everything up so well. Simon Peter, he says in verse 68, Lord, where will we go? To whom shall we go? Why? You have the words of eternal life. The first thing you have to do is you have to look up, not out. The second thing you have to do is you have to discern your desires. The third thing you have to do, you want to avoid abandonment. You have to remember your why. Remember your why. Why did the disciples leave Jesus at his hard sayings? It's because Jesus told them that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they didn't understand what that meant, but it simply meant that my life, the life that I offer you, the eternal life must become the preeminent reality in your life. So now my life must be seamlessly merged with yours so that the things you desire are motivated by the centrality of the eternal life that I offer you, the transformative reality of my word and my gospel and my truth must overcome you. It must shape your affections. It must change you. And unless your life becomes my life and unless those things become one, this life that I'm offering to you with your lived experience, you are not my disciple. And Peter had to remember, he had to remind the disciples as well. There's a reason why we started following Jesus. There's a reason why we're following after this Savior. There's a reason why we're here. It's because that life has overcome us. It's because that reality has transformed us. It is because that love has transcended our own desires. It is because even in the difficulty, we trust Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We have hope for what Jesus will offer. We know why we're here. And yet I think many of us must be honest about the fact that Jesus might be asking us that question today. Why are you here? Why are you here? Are you going to go to? Is this something that you've given up on? Is it over for you? Was 2020 your end? Was it your breaking point? Was this the moment where you said, God, I'm going to throw in the towel? Can't do it anymore. I'm done. Why are you here? You know, my daughter is three and and she's starting to talk and have a, a certain personality and I love it. And one of the things that she does, it's one of her staples is whenever I'm in a room and I'm looking for something, she'll walk in. She both her and my son, they have this really interesting preternatural ability, I think, to detect when I'm home and where I'm at. They'll hear the faintest of sounds and then they'll come running into a particular room. And you'll just hear their little foot feet stomping, little tap, 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 tap. And they're running in. They'll just slam the throw open the door, slam a door, do whatever it takes to get in. Doesn't matter if I'm in a meeting or a conference call, a Bible study, doesn't matter. They're going to see where I'm at. They're going to run into that room. And my daughter, she always asks this question. She'll 
She'll look at me. She asked this even before I came here to record this sermon and I was looking for a particular article of clothing and she leaned in. She said, what are you doing here? What you doing in here? And I can't say it like she says it. It's hilarious and it's cute. But she asked me the question, what are you doing here? And it always annoys me if I'm honest with y'all. It's cute, but it annoys me because I'm like, girl, it's my house. What you mean? What am I doing here? I live here. I know you think you run things and you probably do. But here's the reality of the matter. I'm here. I am the person that you are following after. Come on. You you know why I'm here. This is my house, right? And I started to think a little bit deeper about her question. And she's probably not meaning it with any depth, but there's a way in which it's been convicting me because whenever she asks the question, what are you doing here? I flip it to mean not just what is my presence doing here, but what am I proactively doing as a leader in her life? What am I proactively doing as her father? What am I doing in this house? What am I actually committing to in this space? How am I actually being tied in to what's happening, the flow of this house? What am I committing to do as a leader and as a husband and as a father? And it's now a reminder for me. It's an igniter of my soul. What are you doing here? Have you done something today that matters? Have you put aside some of the things that you could do and given us attention? Have you skipped out on some of the things that would be leisurely or pleasurable or restful for you so that you could spend time with us? What are you doing here? And I think that might be the question that Jesus is asking us. What are you doing here? You know, the truth is, church, Jesus didn't ask for half-hearted converts. Jesus wants committed disciples. What, What are you doing here? Are you just here for the perks? Are you here because your parents made you be here? Are you here because it's just the thing that you're supposed to do to check off the box? I'm a Christian. I go to church. What are you doing here? My friend Aaron, he always says that things don't go wrong. They start wrong. And many of us have a faulty understanding from the start of why we follow Jesus. I think it's time to ask ourselves this question. What's our why? Why are we here? Why are we following Jesus? And if we get down to the root and any other answer other than there's life here, maybe we've missed it from the start. And maybe that's why we're so quick to abandon the presence of God and abandon the principles of God because we've forgotten our why. We never had one in the first place. And I think God is asking us the question as we transition into the rest of the year. Are you with me? Are you willing to be with me? Are you willing to endure and hear the hard things and not quit? Are you willing to stand with me even when the world around is swaying? Are you willing to stick with it even when it doesn't pay off in the way you think it should? Are you with me or or do you want to go to do you want to leave? What do you want? What's your why? What are you looking at? And, And I don't know about you, but I think today is a great day to establish a fresh commitment with God. 
to say, Jesus, I've decided to follow you and I may have followed you for 20 or 30 years, but today I re-up that commitment. I make a fresh commitment after all that you have blessed me with. I won't betray you after the blessing because you are the chief blessing. I'll follow after you wherever you go, wherever you lead, to the bitter end according to society standards, but to life eternal in the spirit. I'm not going to leave like everybody else does. God, we love you. We thank you that you have offered us this invitation to come and follow you. Come and see. It is a life-giving invitation that many of us have claimed to follow for so long. But God, I pray that we would make that commitment real, even more real today, that we would be committed to following you come hell or high water, ups and downs, even when things are good, even when things are difficult, even when things are catastrophic. God, we still we still crawl and we still walk and we still drag ourselves in your example, in your footsteps, God. I pray for those who need to re-up and recommit to their why. Perhaps they've lived vicariously through someone else's relationship with you. Perhaps they've only served you for the benefits and the blessings, but not the hard things. They wanted to get delivered, but they didn't want to be disciplined. God, I pray that you would give us focus. I pray that you would give us determination and commitment to not abandon you when things get hard, but to follow after you, even when things are difficult. I pray that we'd hear the words that you tell us this year, because you're always going to tell us something every single year we don't want to hear. You're going to put us through something that we don't understand. I pray we'd hear the words. We would operate and live in the situations and we would not quit. Give us the strength not to give up, God. And help us not to abandon you like others may have. Or like we may have before. And say, God, I'm with you till the end. Where else can I go? You've got life. And life more abundantly. Give us the strength to do it and walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you, church. I pray that you make a fresh commitment today to follow after Jesus. No turning back. No turning back no matter what life brings. I love you. I'll see you next week. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, you say, God, I want to give my life to you for real this time. I want to follow you in everything that I say and I do. Transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going, and I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen, and thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings, or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy.